St. Louis Blues are the Stanley Cup champions. What a team. What a ride. The Cardinals are world champs in 2011. It's the Loose Fork Talk Podcast. Hello, hello, and hello to all of our lovely listeners out there. Episode number 29 of the Lou Sports Talk podcast. And boy, do we have a treat in store for all of you today. I am Ethan Hannaford, your host, and it is a full house tonight, baby. Yeah, yeah. I am joined by Brandon Big Poppy Gallegos. Yo, yo. TJ Williamson hey, is guys. back. He's alive in the flesh. And guess what? Freebird Dylan Hample is here as well. Aloha. The whole squad is back, ladies and gentlemen. We it's good it. to see you boys. Yeah, good to see you guys. I miss you guys a lot. You're alive. So sweet. I am. I am. I didn't think I was alive at one point, but <laughs> we made it. We made it. Well, guys, we have a lot to discuss today. Um, we're going to continue with this Cardinals offseason discussion that we've had going on here in these last couple of episodes. We were joined by John Denton in our last episode. We're able to talk about this pitching market, what this offseason is going to look like for the Cardinals. Well, guys, free agent play is now officially underway. And while there hasn't been anything yet, it's really just been all rumors like, hey, this guy's being you know mentioned with this team and this and that. That's really most of what most of it's been, but it's gonna it's gonna start rolling here pretty soon. And we're gonna be joined by the one and only TV voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Chip Carey. He's gonna be joining us yeah. in just a couple of minutes here. Can't wait to hear Ow. what Chip can't wait to hear what Chip has to say about this team and yeah, just his overall thoughts about the twenty twenty four season, what needs to happen this offseason in order to, you know, be back competing for a world championship, Brandon. Yeah, man, super excited about it. TJ, I'm glad you're back as well. It's good to see your face. Aww. I kind of missed you. Um, I wasn't here last time either. What about, I've been gone two weeks, Dylan. That's not really selfish. Two weeks. Well, yeah, like I said, I'm really today. excited to have uh, <laughs> real professionals on this show. It'll be refreshing. It'll feel great to have an adult conversation. Yeah, I can't wait for it. You came to the wrong place as TJ kisses Brandon on the forehead. All right, guys. Well, I think it's about that time. Chip Carey, when we come back, you are listening to the Lou Sports Talk Podcast. All right, guys. We have the absolute pleasure to be joined by the one and only the Cardinals play-by-play broadcaster for Bally Sports Midwest, Chip Carey is in the house, not technically, he's on the phone, but he's here in spirit. Chip, how's it going? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? Oh, we're doing great. We appreciate you coming on tonight. And let's go ahead and let's start off with with this, Chip. 2023 was an odd season. We'll get to the play on the field for a second, but you've bounced around plenty of different home ballparks in your career. And now after one whole season in St. Louis, talk about the season from a job perspective and how much you enjoyed being with the club, being with the, the broadcasters, just everyone you worked with. Oh, it was a blast. I mean, uh, at this stage of my life to uh, make that kind of career change is certainly something you don't see happen all that often. But to be welcomed by so many cool people uh, so warmly was really, really refreshing and exciting. Nobody could see in advance the kind of year that the Cardinals had, but my ability, I think, to fit in with the guys and the welcome uh, that they all gave me from uh, the radio side with John and Ricky and you guys 
Uh, Mike Claiborne and Jim Jackson on the TV side, Jim Edmonds, Brad Thompson, our great TV crew. Just felt like a seamless thing for me to step in. And another thing, and I think I'm really grateful uh, how accepting everyone was of not just me, but my entire family. And I think it's a great stepping stone for not just 2023, but 2024 and beyond for me personally and us as a group. And Hopefully, obviously, we'll have a whole lot more fun calling winning games in the seasons ahead. As you said, 2023 wasn't a year that anybody expected to to turn out the way that it did. Well, Chip, first off, I'll say this. It was a blast working with you this season and looking forward to the 2024 season as well. Listen, we're gonna. I'm gonna out my buddy Dylan here because he <laughs> last night when we were talking about what to talk about, he mentioned that he was dying to know what your favorite St. Louis restaurant was. I don't know why, but please just enlighten him and, and answer for him. Come on, Dylan. Well, I got to tell you, I, I hate to admit this. We play so many night games. I really didn't get out very much. Uh oh. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to say the press room at the ballpark because that wouldn't be a, a fair answer. <laughs> I love going to Cafe Napoli actually in Clayton. That's yeah. a great spot. A lot of play uh, players and guys hanging out there and hung out with Claiborne there a couple of times this summer. Uh, I grew up in West County, so I used to work at uh, Rich and Charlie's. I was a dishwasher there, so that was always a favorite place to go to. A place that no longer exists is Schneid Horse. My, my uh, maternal grandparents used to go there quite a bit, and I would, I would have the good fortune of being invited to go to dinner with them. But Kim Everly, who's our, our great stage manager in the booth, she works at Sportsman's Park right there on Clayton Road at, uh, at uh, 64. That's a cool spot to hang out. You know, but like I said, I'm, I'm kind of a homebody. I don't get out all that much. My family isn't in St. Louis with me all that frequently. And, you know, my, my residence was right at the ballpark at Ballpark Village. So that made it easy to go to Katie's or to go to Cardinal Nation or the places around the ballpark. So that was kind of uh, my routine and, and what I stuck to. But the ones that I mentioned were all great places. And I can't wait to get back there this spring again. Yeah, Chip, I, I, I too enjoy Cafe Napoli. Every, when, when my paycheck comes in every third month, I can I can just afford it then. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, it's like go to Whole Foods, right? Whole paycheck. <laughs> well, my name's Brandon. Thanks again for being on our show. It means a lot. Staying with the Cardinals 2023 season, you know, the Cardinals team had quite the messy season finishing with the 71 and 91 record. How surprising was that to you personally? A lot. You know, you, you saw how good the Cardinals were from afar, uh, you know, watching them play, the, the style of play, the end result of play. I don't think anybody, as I said, expected that kind of year. I think all the prognostications of the so-called experts, yours truly included, thought the Cardinals were the best team on paper going into the season. But it didn't turn out that way. I think the, the rules changes had a dramatic effect on the way the pitching staff was able to operate. The pitch-to-contact world has gone the way of the dodo, and I think we saw that. I think John Moselock has said that. I think he's right, that you got to have swing and miss stuff, top and bottom, in your rotation, in your bullpen, if you want to have a chance to get to the playoffs and succeed there. And the Cardinals just didn't have enough of that. They didn't have enough pitching depth. Guys got hurt. The WBC didn't help Miles Michaelis and Adam Wainwright quite, obviously. The bullpen was not very good. And when you had leads and you lost them, that that just sort of destroys the soul of the team. So offensively, I think they they scored plenty of runs. They scored enough runs to win games, but they just couldn't close out leads in the fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh innings. And that really came back to bite them. And the old saying in baseball, as you know, you can't win a pen in April, but you can lose it. That's exactly what happened for the Cardinals when they were, what, 14, 15 games under 500. Mm. It was too deep a hole to, uh, to dig themselves out of. Yeah, for sure. I know I'm really excited to move forward and talk about the optimistic side of the future of the Cardinals. This is TJ, by the way. Hey, um, TJ. And uh, I know I'm excited to move forward. But before we wrap up um, t- about the talk of the 2023 season, would you mind telling us your personal favorite call of the season that you made? 
Oh, my personal favorite call. I, I don't know that I have one. I, I really don't think about my career that way. I leave that up to the fans to decide <laughs> what that is. You know, I, whatever comes out is what comes out. It's not scripted. It's all very organic. And just uh, whatever I say is whatever I say. Some people like it. Some people don't. You know, I, I think uh, for me, it was just an emotional year. I think that's the best way I can describe it. So I would say all of them in the sense that it was just such a fresh start. It was such a rewarding experience to come home, to broadcast for my hometown team. The circumstances being what they were was were difficult, quite obviously. But being able to be myself and find my own way with a group of, of professionals and friends and family members uh, in the broadcast booth who allowed me to be me. And as I said earlier, how quickly we came together, made a really great team, was the most rewarding thing about the season for me. So picking one call is like picking your favorite child. I don't do that. I'm just really proud of the work that we as a group did. And, you know, my, my motto has always been as the play-by-play guy, my job is to make those guys' talent shine. If we're good, it's because – excuse me, if I'm good, it's because they're great. And uh, if we're not good, it's because I screwed it up. And uh, <laughs> I think that we were able to avoid that pride fall this year. Yeah, thank you again for joining us, Chip. My name is Dylan. Um, So moving on to the 2024 season now, the GM meetings just wrapped up in Arizona, and we found out that the Cardinals are now going to try to pursue two starting pitchers rather than three, like had been originally discussed. Do you what do you think is the reason for them changing from uh, going from pursuing three pitchers to two? The front office has to know it's going to be an expensive free agency market, right? Oh, I think that's probably part of it. And look, I think we're getting caught up in the minutia of it, whether it's two or three, who cares if they're quality, that's what you need. And I think the, the, the point that I made earlier, I think was proven last year, that they just didn't have enough depth and they didn't have enough quality in the rotation to, to compete for a division title, much less a World Series. And yes, you're right. It's going to be expensive. It's going to be expensive in terms of dollars. It's probably going to be expensive in terms of what you have to give up if you can't spend the money in free agency that you want. Uh, and so it's, it, this is going to be a really, really watershed offseason for the Cardinals. And, and the people that I've talked to, not just with St. Louis, but scouts around the league, said the warning sirens for this were ringing years ago. And um, now the bills come due. And, and the Cardinals know that and understand that. And how Mo and Randy and, and Moises and the guys go about doing that, that's way above my pay grade. But I think uh, what we saw from May 1st on was patently obvious to everybody and has been talked about for a while in St. Louis. you got to have quality starting pitching. We overcomplicate the game way, way too much. If you pitch, you have a chance to win. If you don't, you don't. And far too often, the Cardinals were pitching and playing from behind because the pitching wasn't good enough or up to the standards that the Cardinals and their fans are used to. So whether it's two, three, four, five, who cares? I just want quality guys that go out and give you a chance to win. And uh, the more, the merrier. And if the Cardinals can find a way to get more of them within their budgetary constraints, then then more power to them. We're currently being joined by the St. Louis Cardinals TV play-by-play broadcaster Chip Carey. We're going to try and cover as much as we can about this pitching market in these next few minutes and as little time as possible. And it was recently put out the other day by John Morosi that the Cardinals are among the teams to be showing early interest in Aaron Nola. And Nola's a guy that's been projected to get, he's going to be projected to get anywhere from five to seven years, that 140 to $175 million range. And I'm curious, Chip, if you see the Cardinals being willing to compete with some of these top market organizations to be able to put in that kind of money for Enola or really for any starting pitcher out there? Well, I think they're going to have to. I mean, that's that's the nature of, 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 the, of the game now. That's, that's the price of doing business. And, you know, I, I, for one, I don't subscribe to the theory that the Cardinals aren't a big market team. They draw over 3 million fans. They have had the best TV ratings in baseball for years. 
You've got a passionate fan base that stretches from sea to shining sea with a huge TV and radio network. The Cardinals can swim in those waters if they want to. It's just a matter of finding the right fit. And, and frankly, it takes two to tango. you got to have guys that want to come play in St. Louis. And I think those are all things and factors that are going to uh, have to be in play here over the next several weeks. You mentioned Aaron Nola. I saw him a ton with the Braves. What you love about Nola, he's a gamer. He's He takes the ball 30, 33 times a year. He gives you 200-plus innings a year, and the guy is driven to win. And, you know, the, if, if a guy like that is available and fits within your parameters and your price range, you, uh, you, you go for it. Hopefully guys like him are, are going to be uh, available for the Cardinals, whether it's him or Sonny Gray or the guys from Japan. Doesn't matter to me. You got to have a top of the rotation guy that could go toe to toe with somebody in a big series. And a guy like Aaron Nola has done that before. And if that's the price of doing business, well, that's the price of doing business. And we'll see if the Cardinals are up to the challenge. They've done it before. They've gotten Arenado. They've gotten Goldschmidt. They've gotten Matt Holiday. They've gotten, you know, big name guys to come play in St. Louis. It's only money, but that's easy for me to say. I'm not the one that has to write the check. <laughs> Yeah, you mentioned the pitching market, and, and the, the next question we have here, it goes along with that. And I'm just curious, you mentioned a lot of names like Enola. You have a Snell out there. Uh, you have the two Japanese uh, star pitchers. What is one name specifically that we could place in the top end of our rotation that you see is, a, is the most realistic piece for the Cardinals to go out and get? And then the follow-up question to that, what is another piece, maybe like a Montgomery, a Waka, maybe some of the smaller names out there that you see that the Cardinals could end up going to get? Yeah, you know, I, again, that's above my pay grade. I, I, you know, I, I kind of have a self-imposed rule. I don't tell the GM how to sign players, and he doesn't tell me how to broadcast the game. Right. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Other than saying this, I don't see many teams being able to go out and spend two hundred million bucks a piece on uh, a couple of starting pitchers. I just don't see that, especially with the RSN issues. There's a lot of balls in the air, if you will, for a lot of major league franchises. That said, I think one advantage the Cardinals have is they have a ton of redundancy as far as offensive players are concerned. And this is a market that doesn't have a lot of hitters available. I can see the Cardinals very easily signing a guy to a big deal and making a deal to uh, offload some of their uh, duplicate players to go get another starter that will really help in in rotation and, by the way, in the bullpen. So uh, I think it's going to be a combination of things. That's my guess. How that transpires, we'll have to see in the days and weeks ahead. But uh, I, I, I at least applaud Mo for understanding and saying pitching, 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 and he knows he's got to go do it, and I believe that he can. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that this there isn't a lot out there on the market in the on the hitting side of things, and I'm curious how you think that you know the Cardinals having that depth, having that plethora, how that's going to help them potentially in on the other side, maybe looking to make a trade that which has been mentioned as an option as well, um, rather than just focusing on the market, how that could help the Cardinals in trying to bring in someone that could be a top two guy in the rotation. You know, when you look at how thin the depth is for the league as a whole on the market when it comes to bats. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Look, you know, as you know, if you have duplicate pieces, you have to know which piece is going to best fit into your system, and the one that doesn't, that's the guy you move. The Cardinals have a ton of outfield guys. They have a ton of infield guys who play the same position. The Cardinals, as you know, when they traded Jordan Montgomery, acquired a couple of players, and, and Jack Flaherty acquired a couple of players who are utility middle infield types who can play multiple positions. They will be dealing from a position of strength if that's a route that they choose to go, I think. It's just a question of identifying who best fits what you want to do. And uh, needless to say, you know, it's easy to talk about, hey, let's go trade player A for player B. 
whatever the Cardinals do trade, that's going to be a painful thing. It's not going to be just, hey, let's just trade this guy. To get what the Cardinals need, they're going to have to trade a really, really important and good player to get what they need. And who that's going to be and how that's going to transpire, nobody knows. But I think that's, again, sort of a corner that they've backed themselves into now and in knowing that to get a quality starting pitcher, you got to give up some quality in return and who that player is going to be. It's not going to be a whole lot of fun to see them say goodbye, but you got to have pitching, and that's what the Cardinals' uh, heavy price is going to be. You know, you've talked about that heavy price. I'm, I'm curious then how much of, I, w- I don't want to say the mistakes, but how much of the, you look at some of these trades that have happened in the past, the Zach Gallen, the Randy Rose Arena, the Sandy Alcantara, some of these trades that haven't gone the Cardinals way in the past, you have to imagine that that's going to be going through the back of the mind for Mo, for this front office, knowing that this time they do have to get it right. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, bad trades happen, but look, let's. Re- I think we're looking at this. You got to look at this through the through the the fair, fairness lens, not the revisionist history lens. The Cardinals needed offense, and they traded Zach Allen and they traded Sandy Alcantara, who are in the low minor leagues, and nobody knew that either one of those guys was going to turn into what they turned into. And they got Marcelo Zuna, who was coming off, I believe, a Gold Glove Silver Slugger year in Miami, and he came in and gave some thump to the Cardinals, right? Ozuna didn't work out long-term in St. Louis, and we all know about what Gallon and Alcantara have done. People want to talk about Garcia. Well, he was released, and 30 teams could have gone back and gotten him. They didn't. He improved himself and took off. Everybody talks about Matthew Libertor and that deal uh, for, his name escaped, uh, Rosarena in Tampa Bay. Well, right now, yeah, that, that's a bit of an advantage for Tampa Bay, but let's not forget the Cardinals got Libertor, who made great strides in the bullpen last year. They also got a compensation pick, which turned out to be Tink Hentz. And if Tink Hentz makes the major leagues, and it is a solid mid-rotation starter and a guy that can win 10 or 15 games for you, all of a sudden the pendulum of that trade swings back in favor of the Cardinals. The bottom line is you've got to let the deals percolate. It's not how the deal is transpired at the moment that determines whether you win it or lose it. It's what happens in the years to come. And, you know, I think the jury's still out for the Cardinals as far as the Libertor trade is concerned. I think Matthew's got a great upside. He found himself in the bullpen, and maybe he's a guy that could be a swing guy in rotation and in long relief for the Cardinals going into play next season. But, yeah, anytime you make a deal, you wonder what are you getting and what are you giving up? And you, you really what you want is both guys to be successful in both places doesn't work out that way, but that's the nature of the business. And I think any GM worth his salt will say, look, we, we want to make more good trades than bad, but if you're not making bad trade, if you, if you if you don't have a few trades that, that don't work out the way you want to, you're probably not trying hard enough. And I, you know, unfortunately, uh, in recent memory, I think that's what Cardinals mm-hmm. fans have been uh, uh, worried about. Yeah, we've got just one more question before you go here. So this season you spent a lot of time, you know, talking with players and coaches who did you enjoy talking with, you know, the most behind the scenes? Who was a fun well, guy to well, talk yeah, to? We're, we're, we're lucky. We get unfettered access with Ollie every single day. He is just, he's great. We have a great deal of respect for him. He knows the game. He's, he's, he knows what he's talking about. He knows what he wants to do. He knows the culture he's trying to create. And he was incredibly welcoming, not just of me, but all of our broadcast colleagues. From a player standpoint, love talking with Brandon Donovan. Arenado was great. Goldschmidt, very quiet. Love talking to him. Alec Burleson was super. Kisner, awesome. Contreras uh, treated us with with a great deal of respect as well. And I think that's that's a reflection of of of, of you know the Cardinals' way, right? Yeah. We're all in this together. And uh, the season wasn't the kind of season we all had hoped for. But I think everybody learned something from that, and that is there's an urgency and a desire to get back to the top of the pile again. And I think kind of the years like uh, the Cardinals had last year are rejuvenating in a way. 
they're wake-up calls. You know, you can't take anything for granted. And uh, the game evolves. You have to evolve, too. And I think that, that uh, that's the greatest lesson all of us can take out of 2023 was it's an aberration, but let's make sure we keep it that way. Let's fix it, and let's build this thing back long-term so the Cardinals can get back to the top of the pile where they belong and hopefully get into the playoffs, win a few series, and have a chance to get to the World Series again. Hey, Chip, I know that everyone loved having you in St. Louis this past year, and I I hope that there's uh, plenty more seasons to go in St. Louis. And it it sounds like based off of, you know, getting to work with you this past year, that uh, hopefully that's going to be the case, that you enjoyed yourself as well, and we'll have plenty more years with you here. Well, it was a blast, guys. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on tonight. Looking forward to spring training. We're about 100 days away until uh, we get going again for real. So let's get rolling. Let's get some guys and get that rotation put together, and let's start thinking about October baseball again. Chip, thanks again for joining. Appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Yeah, thanks, Chip. Okay, guys. See you soon. Take care. Thanks, guys. Nice to meet you. That was Chip Carey, everyone. That was Chip Carey. I love that man. What a voice. What a voice. What a man. And I'll say this. I haven't mentioned this too much here. What a man voice. Sounds like we're done. We're We're done. done. We're done. done. Mead molasses. That doesn't even make sense. Smells like mahogany in here. (laughs) I can't even focus. Go ahead. Go from there. No. (laughs) Come on. Take it. I haven't mentioned this much here. Actually, I don't know if I've mentioned this at all, but... I was able to work very close with Chip Carey with the Cardinals broadcasters this year in the booth as a booth assistant, and that was an unbelievably amazing experience. And to be able to work with Chip every day, yeah, dude is just an awesome human being, a phenomenal broadcaster, and he's a he's such a goofy dude. Like, I mean, the stuff you hear on air, it's exactly how he is off air all the time. So, uh, so was so, so glad to have Chip on um, there and, you know, hopefully we'll be able to have him on again sometime. But guys, I thought he brought up some pretty interesting points. So after all of that, guys, I'm curious what some of the things that you took away from that conversation were. Let's go ahead and start with the Ollie conversation at the end there. Because sure. I thought it was really cool. That's the things you don't think about, is the behind-the-scenes yeah. stuff that happens. The the flights, the the going out to eat in the evening. I mean, those yeah. kind of things are those are things you don't think about. So I'm curious what you guys thought about just the comments about you know being able to interact with those players, being able to interact with Ali on the daily. I love that a guy like Goldschmidt is just you know when you think of him, he's a cardinal, and then mm. how he described him is yeah, he's quiet, good guy, and like that's exactly almost how you see his game on the field, like just quiet, Confidence. gets the job done. And and does his job, and was, I don't know. I thought that was a cool piece. I already had an assumption that I wanted to hang out with Brennan Donovan, but the <laughs> fact that Brennan Donovan was the first player that came out of his mouth makes me think He's such I want to hang out. That's true. It's That's the true. main reason I want to hang out it's with him. Did I tell he, you, married, gentlemen? Did I did I tell you what Paul Goldschmidt said to me on the last day of the season? What did he Hello? say? Well. Mm. End of sentence. <laughs> End of sentence. <laughs> so you know, you guys have seen my lanyard. I have a lot of my pins on my lanyard sure, that I wear to the sure. ballpark. Fifteen. Yeah. Sure. For those who don't know, that. he kind of looks like a Girl Scout in the fall. You can hear him coming a mile away. Well, we're about to we're about to interview Paul Goldschmidt after Game One Sixty Two, and he just he just kind of looks me up and down. That's a lot of pins, man. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's uh, it. They just started. Shout just out Goldie. Funny. Paul yeah, Goldschmidt agrees. Def- yeah. Definitely listening right love now. Love that. So he, we, he also heard play- <laughs> we also heard a lot of interesting comments about this pitching market. There wasn't necessarily like a single player that he brought up. I think in generally talked about more so just the necessity, right? Yeah. The, ne- mm-hmm. the necessity the of 2023 wasn't good. Clearly, 
in order for 24, 24 to not be that, something has to change. And, yep. you know, we can talk all we want about the, will they do it? Will, oh, but what about this? What about that? At the end of the day, you just have to do it. And yeah. I think that everyone kind of understands that. I think that was the biggest point, it seemed to me at least, that Chip was trying to make. Yeah, I like this point, too, when you ask him about the trades that have been made in the past. Because, I mean, that's one of the biggest hits that the Cardinals front office takes. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially with Adolis Garcia, even in, in Texas. I mean, I know that wasn't even though a that's trade. A, that's a terrible example. Yeah, uh, it's not that awful of an example. Everyone could have had him, though. Everyone passed on him. Even Texas DFA'd Cardinals him. legend Lane Thomas. So here's my point. My point is that's one of the biggest things that you hear about from the fan base sure, is yeah, all these yeah. trades that went wrong. And he said, you know what? If you don't have a couple of trades that go wrong, you're probably not trying hard mm-hmm. enough. One of my favorite lines by far out from that interview. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I mean, what was really interesting to me too is that he said it seemed like this is kind of more on the pitching side of things where it had been kind of building for the last few years and yeah. like had showed signs and this was kind of like sure kicking you can only hit the can down the road so far and like rents do I, I thought that was he put that really well and I hadn't thought of it that way before it was like it's like it's a very watershed off season for us obviously but it's like it's been building for what, some time now I, this could be a stupid question but give a couple examples of it building I mean, was a, well, a couple of years ago? Did we have serious issues in our rotation? Not, not to this extent. But. I think, I think more so, and I think that you can even look at the lineup, even a handful of years ago, and everyone was saying this team needs a bat. This mm-hmm. team desperately needs yeah. a power bat, and that's when they went out and they got Goldie and they got Ozuna and they tried to patch that or fix that problem. Sure, 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 one sure. of them worked, Goldie. One of them did not work, right? And now, yeah. you know, Sandy Alcantara is a is a Cy Young Award winner in Miami, right? Yeah. So. But I think that on the other side, when you look at this rotation, right, I mean, even when Adam Wainwright figured things out again truly and that ERA was in the low threes for a couple of years, is Adam Wainwright your ace? He was. Either him or Fulgari. Back in the day. That's See, I think that's the point he's making. If Adam Wainwright at 37 years old is your ace— not that Wainwright wasn't performing, but yeah. Wainwright, no, I, even then, he's not an ace, right? I mean, yeah, Jack Flaherty right. definitely was figuring things out and was set up to be that guy. Yeah. Then the injury bug hits him. You have sure. Miles Michaelis, but these these are solid pieces, but I think that— Yeah, they're not at number one. It's, the, it's that recognition of, in a championship-caliber team, how many of these pieces that we would say are our top pitchers over the last, let's go, five years? Sure. How many of them— are top three, ah, top two. We'll do top two in your championship teams from the last five years. Yeah, right. It just goes probably to, none. It just goes. Sorry, it just goes to show, like he said, like how the game has changed. Where pitch to contact was our strategy, and that's just not a thing anymore. You have to be able, have a guy that can strike people out, and we haven't had that for right. the better part sure. of a decade. Yeah, yeah, like you said, there was a point where that made sense and it worked, and I would say even as recent as some of the Mike Schilt era, mm-hmm. like it, it worked, but the game is the continuing glove, yeah. to change, and it's continuing to evolve, and I think it's just a matter of time, or it's just the point of time where it's like, yeah, you know, the Cardinals have to be willing to evolve a little bit as well in that. Sure. It feels also that the part of the Cardinals' identity that were Cardinals <laughs> that we're trying to hold on to. Okay, Chris Berman. Cardinals. <laughs> 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 Are we done? Yeah, Are you done. two Go done? On. Yeah, okay, we're, now done. We we're done. Golly. It's going to be fun to edit. <laughs> <laughs> the Cardinals' way, the Cardinals' identity for years has been winning by 
investing in certain areas and cutting in other areas. I feel like pitching is a little cheaper when it comes to pitch to contact. Typically, people want to buy the highlight reel. Sure. You got crap ton of velocity on your pitches, all that good stuff. Right. But in reality, if we don't adjust, if we don't make amends and just say, we're going to leave our success from the past in the past, we have to start brand new now. The Cardinals' way has to adapt is basically what I'm I'm trying to emulate right here. Okay, guys, to wrap up Cardinals talk, let's go ahead and let's quickly, just for fun, let's throw out our predictions. Who are the Cardinals bringing in to Yamamoto. the road? To- Yamamoto. Thanks for listening Wait. to the Lee Sports Talk podcast. <laughs> Who would you want to bring in to this rotation? Let's be realistic here. We can have fun with it, but let's be realistic. I'm kind of well. nervous. This is these are the takes where you sound like an idiot. Mm. You know, these are the takes Amen, where you say brother. you're not going to go get Albert Pujols, and then two weeks later they get Albert Pujols. Who said that? Was that the pilot? No, that was season one. Was, was that like the one, pilot episode? No, was, no. Uh, if it would have been the pilot, we would have never we been on our, air again. Can we get our research team to do some? <laughs> yeah, research? we'll, we'll, we'll have we'll we'll hire some people. We got yeah, that in the yeah, budget. Yeah. Here's who I want. I want I want Snell. I don't really care about his walk rate. He's got swing and miss stuff. He's got Cy Young stuff. I think they go get him. I think the Cardinals are desperate enough to give him the contract he wants. Uh, I I don't think other teams like the Yankees, like the Red Sox, are going to be willing to go there. I also think I personally like Michael Waka. I think they bring him back. I think he's going to be okay. a three or a four. I think after that, I I, I think after that, that's that's about it. Okay, so you that's don't where think, I sit. So you think they stay away from, or they aren't able to make that trade? I, if we're doing trades, I could see a trade where we go get a guy like Bieber from okay. Cleveland. Right. I do see that. Okay, but I don't think it's Waka and Bieber. Okay, so you think it's two guys? Yes. Okay, got it. This is even more out of my ballpark than anybody else's in this ha, room. Pun. Ha. But I'm going to say Yamamoto, feel like he's almost dead shot. Yeah, I like gonna it. Get him. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm going to interrupt real quick. Have you guys been seeing where Lars Newtbar, his mom, and Yamamoto's mom have been hanging out? Oh, no. Newtbar went and watched Yamamoto play over in Japan. We with, talked about with, that last no, ep- episode a little bit. Yeah, he with, what, no, but Nolan, not, Nolan Arenado's brother, too. Yeah, with Jonah. With Jonah Arenado, yeah. So, uh, Interesting. He's doing his work. Recruiting Newtbar went plot. on vacation with Otani. Okay, we'll stop it right there. Hambone, yep. you're up. <laughs> We're not going to take World that any further. <laughs> Well, it's uh, here's your soundbite to clip of this is going to age like milk, but uh, <laughs> on a hot summer's day. So I I am going to throw some curveballs out there. I'm going to say... Pun. <laughs> have tables turned. Just keep going. Sorry. Uh, not necessarily who like I want the most, but who I think they have the most realistic shot at getting. I'm going to say Eduardo Rodriguez. Wow, Detroit. Yep. And I am also going to say Sonny Gray, because why not? Okay. Sonny Gray. I think keep it, that keep it simple. out of all three of you, um, I think Brandon's is the most realistic. Makes I think sense. that um, I think that, but Brand, or wait, did I say Dylan or Brandon? Said Brandon. Brandon. Oh, I'm lying. Uh, Dylan's is the most. What realistic. is wrong with you? Oh. I just was not thinking. As wow, I said that hurt. That. The reason being is that from what I've heard, I don't know if the Cardinals will be willing to. I don't know if they're going to be able to compete with. I, I, this is where I'm am hesitant to fully agree with what Chip said. Is I don't know if the Cardinals are going to be willing to compete with some of those top market teams that are going to be willing to give the max amount of money. And I now said, wait a second, wait, you wait, were wait, the wait, one wait, wait, earlier wait, this offseason, earlier in the year, saying the Cardinals would be the front runner. I think that they will be utilizing the trade block more so to offset that. So I think that you know we said I said a buck forty or to a buck seventy five. 
for Aaron Nola, it's probably going to be more than that. Because if that's what people expect for him to get, there's probably a good chance that the market is going to yeah, outbid no, itself. Agree. It's gonna he's going to get more yeah, than that. Yeah, it's going to climb. I don't know if I see the Cardinals being willing to put that much in. And, I mean, fair game. Aaron Nola's starting to get up there in age, you know. I think it makes more sense to go for Yoshinobu Yamamoto because he is 25. younger. 25, exactly. And everyone, everyone says his stuff plays. He's got the strikeout stuff. I think that makes more sense. But I think the most realistic was Dylan. I really do like Sonny Gray. You can get him on a shorter-term contract, which I think is something that they're going to be able to keep an eye on because I think they still do like some of their farm system coming up eventually. Sure. So I think that Sonny Gray. And then I think that where they try and make a splash is on the is on the trade block. I really like Logan Gilbert. I really also mm, I really like too. Dylan Cease. I know that the White Sox are going to be super high on Cease. He had a really bad 2023 season. I'm going to go out on a limb here just for the heck of it. Why not? And say the Cardinals try and make uh, I'm going to say try and make something happen with one of those guys. I, I think that they're definitely going to ask about either of them. I'm going to go with Cease because I think that the White Sox are really trying to clear things out. I think that they'll be willing to part ways with Cease. It's going to take a lot. It's going to take a lot, but like Chip said, you have to you got to do what you got to do. So, um he's that's, got a wicked stash. He's Good Maybe the card, and I think the Cardinals are able to take advantage of you know that Cease had a bad 2023. Say like, hey, you know, this is a little bit of a risk for us too. So sure. that's my thought there. Okay, guys. Well, I think we uh, pretty much covered that all, didn't we? Yeah, the, I love it. Yeah. In all the right. words of Michael Scott. Stiff stop, stiff stop, stiff stop. That's all I have. TJ, send us to hockey. When we come back, while well, St. Louis Blues and you are listening to the Loose Sports Talk podcast. All right, guys, we're back now. Hockey time on the Lee yes. Sports Talk podcast. Brandon's been like, I've been waiting for this for way too long. Yeah. All right, Brandon, it's your time to shine, beautiful. Guys, I am excited coming off of a big game on the road against Colorado, an 8-2 oh, yeah. victory. What was that team, and where did they come from? And I hope they don't go anywhere. <laughs> Haven't seen that team since 2020. Holy Pre-COVID. smokes. I mean, it was an absolute onslaught from the start. And, and here's the thing. Colorado still had scoring chances. In fact, even midway through the second, tied in shots. Because, I mean, you just you know that Colorado is going to have high, high percentage scoring chances every single game. And we still looked great. Why don't we pause for the listener that isn't aware of what happened in Colorado this past weekend? All right, fine. I'll, I'll slow down. I'll, I'll, I'll not what assume. The break. What I'll happened not in assume Denver, Colorado? Put your shirt back on. What happened in Denver, Colorado at Ball Here, Arena? On, here's what Saturday, happened Saturday? on the uh, on the on the cliff of a snowy mountain in Denver. It Ooh. was the night before Christmas. I just assume every arena is on a cliff and a mountain in Colorado. Basically, you um, get a crackle of the fireplace. The Blues won by a final score of eight to two. Holy. Round Eight up. to two. Two hatties. Um, there were two hat tricks, one by our captain, oh, captain, Braden Shin. Yeah. There was another by Pavel Buchnevich. They broke their power play curse with two goals on the man advantage, as well as two shorthanded goals. By the way, that hadn't happened in over 50 years for a Blues game. By two the way. shorthanded in one game? Two wow. shorthanded. And two Hatties. I saw that it was the first time since 2016 that a player had had a hat trick, and two of them were shorthanded goals. 
Yeah, that's for the first crazy. time since 2016. So, so it's just, years, it was just crazy. one of those games where you felt like everything was going your way, every bounce was happening your way, and yeah, you felt like every goal in some way was breaking a record there for a second. It was probably the most exciting game number 13 <laughs> on a hockey schedule you ever see. But no, really fun to watch. So I will say this, before we really dive into Blues Talk, I think it's important to remember four games in was the last time that we recorded, Brandon, and yep. we made it a very big point not to overreact. Yep. I think that we're at the point we're starting to move forward a little bit. We're, sure. 13 in, is that you, yeah, what you 13. said? Yeah, 13. Thir- we're 13 in as we speak. So the, I think the farther you get into the season, the more and more you can overreact. Yeah, you I would agree. You can react to things. Okay? I don't so, think we're there yet. No, I don't either. But I'm saying I think there's a little more cause for emotion. I sense a little fighting in your tone, Ethan. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Maybe oh, there is. Somebody oh, get no. a box of gloves. <laughs> it is a trend. It is not factual yet that that is us. Yes, we're we're trending in that direction. There it is. That's 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 what's happening. Fourth no, in sure. fourth in the division at this point, fifteen points so far. That's tied with Winnipeg as we speak, seven and five and one record. But I think the biggest thing you mentioned, obviously, the big Colorado win. But four out of five, yeah, wins. That's big time because yeah. it seemed like in the couple of games prior to that, things weren't trending in the right direction. So obviously, at some point. There was, you know, leadership that stepped up, something that I think that they lacked, you know, yeah, especially no, in the later sure. part of last year after O'Reilly and Tarasenko were traded away. Yeah. Guys are stepping up and things turned around. And I think a lot of it has to do, and we'll get into this, I think a lot of it has to do also with this offensive approach, Brandon. Yeah, I agree. No, sorry. I was just taking a sip of water there. Can't get I, I was, a break. Couldn't even get a break, folks. This is how we get this worked by segment. Ethan. We get worked by Ethan just like this. Um, here's the thing. I, I agree, and, and I think a lot of it has to do – we talked about this out on the last episode. So many people, when we saw the offensive struggles at the beginning of the year, were blaming it on the new defensive structure. They were blaming it on like, well, yeah, we're so focused on defense, we're not scoring any goals now. And that just wasn't the case. Actually, the defensive zone structure was meant to lead to more offense. What was the case then? I mean, it's still the case. If you don't score on the power play when you have the man advantage, that's always going to hurt your offense. That has nothing to right, but that has nothing to do with the that defensive approach. No, no, no. It has again it has nothing to do with the defensive approach. I think another issue, another problem is, I mean, we have guys like uh, here. Here, here's where I'm at. We have guys that are trying to get shots on that. You have a Jordan Cairo, for example, right? I mean, he leads the team in shots. If you don't, if you don't shoot, you don't score. He leads the team in shots with forty-nine shots, and then b- behind him, in a very close second, Robert Thomas with Robert twenty-nine. Thomas, baby, he listened to us. He's shooting the puck. Yeah, and and here's the thing: like, we still are bottom half of the league in shots, and a lot of that has to do with they're getting blocked. But I mean, those are those are a few things. We just we saw a lot of guys who were passed first the first few games of the year, and yeah. part of that's normal. Part of that's the ups and downs of an NHL season. You always see the offense clicking last. I mean, TJ, you're a football guy. That's that's actually very true in the NFL as 100%. well. It takes three, four weeks. Hockey definitely being a different sport. But you see that still a struggle early in the season offensively. I mean, Colorado, they have the fourth worst power play in the league right now. We know that won't stay by the end of the year. And so I, I will say this. There is hope now after these after these last five games, and, and now is not the time to react. Yeah, the crazy part is, like, correct me if I'm wrong, Robert Thomas wasn't shooting much at the beginning of the year. A lot of these shots started compiling more recently. Sure. Seeing that we were skidding in a direction, Robert Thomas said, hold my beer, I'm going to start shooting a little bit <laughs> here and there. 
And it works. He's got six points in a row as far as games are concerned. Goals, right? No, it, no, not six. It's it he's was, got four assists in Colorado. Oh yeah, yeah. He's right. So he's six, right. Six point game Respect. streak. So it was a five. Ge- it was a five game goal streak. And then and then was, he followed that with four yeah. assists. That's great. Holy that's gotta moly. be equatable to a goal at least. Like they, something. Stat, stat sheet should just let him have. Yeah, it. That's what he gets paid to do. It is. <laughs> Give him a cookie. The point is with Robert Thomas, he's going to be most valuable when he's balanced. Yeah. If right. he's passing all the time, people are just going to cover the passing lanes. He's not going to take the open shot. And then Kyrie's gonna fadangle something in the middle of the ice and mess it up. <laughs> fadangle, so, official that's a banger verb. I like it. <laughs> Not only though has it been Robert Thomas, the offensive strategy as a whole has been a lot yeah. more of that. Yeah, it has. It has been. If you look at the trends for game by game, I think that so much of it at the beginning of the year, people were also concerned with lack of possession in the offensive zone, which is a huge part of the game. Sure. You need that. But sure. what's also been mentioned in our, you know, off air discussion is that the Blues aren't necessarily well, they're definitely not one of the most talented teams, you know, sure. puck handling wise, stick handling wise, in the league. So yeah. part of that is going to be, you know, sometimes you have to put shots on net. Even yeah. if you're not able to build necessarily that time in your zone, yeah. in the offensive zone. Yeah. You have to be able to still get pucks to the net, and that's something I think that we've also seen in these re- this recent stretch of games is the Blues are starting to shoot a little bit more, even when the offensive zone possession isn't necessarily going up. Would you back that, Brandon? Yeah, I would. We're we're a north south team. We have to go north and south, and what yep. that means for the uh, not the average hockey Joe is it just means you're you're going towards the other team's net more often than you are going from boards to boards your puck your passes aren't going side to side you're you're chipping it in and you're going after it and that's what that's the kind of team we have to play that's why you went and got a guy like Hayes with his size with his experience and his play behind the other team's net i mean you've seen how many board battles have been won in the last 5 games that have been huge offensively for the mm. blues yeah we're a north south team i agree with you so let me ask you guys this this year, the goaltending has been also has taken a huge step up, and you can yeah. you can you know argue for whatever reasons last year's struggles. But I mean, we look at the comparison, right, of Jordan Bennington's numbers this year compared to last year. At this point, last year, that goals against average is twentieth in the league. This year, it's eighth in the league, and yeah. it's dropped from three point two to two point five. Yeah, but I think a huge key to that as well. Is last year you had Thomas Grice, who was the backup for Benner, right? And yep. this year, Joel Hofer. There is a clear jump yeah. in better uh in, in in a better backup goalie this year, which I think creates a lot of, let's say, I how do I want to put this? I think that it creates a little bit more competition. of competition. Not e- yes. In- internal competition yes, makes them better. Yes, definitely. But that's not even I was thinking more so even like a comfort knowing that, like, hey, you do not have to start Binner as much as you were last year. You can trust that Joel Hofer is going to be able to keep your team in the game. Yeah. And I think that that's what we're seeing as well as last year. Grice, there was just times when just like, man, you're just forced to play Binner, but Binner's not feeling it. It's just like it was not a good situation. This year it feels like a completely different setup with the goaltender because you once again have that backup goal you can trust. It feels a lot like the Jake Allen days as far as having yeah. him as a backup, but – the difference is, is you're paying these guys a combined what seven million rather than ten million. Yeah, every championship team has a one A and and almost a one B in this NHL league now, and and I think that's what you're referring to. You're referring to the confidence that not only your your coaching staff has, but your defensive core has. 
to join the rush, to be a part of the offense. I mean, Ruby talked about it two nights ago. He talked about how we've been wanting to see D-men jump into the play more, jump into the rush, and you've seen that. You've seen that from guys like Folk, who's had he's had a point a game the last five games. I mean, you, you love to see that. You see Pareko. I mean, he's taken eight shots in the last four games. Again, if you don't trust your back end, if you don't trust the goaltending, I think there there is something to your defensive core not jumping in the offensive zone because they're having to stay home. They're having to protect protect the net, and, and, and just good goaltending translates to so much. I know that wasn't the only problem we had last year. I know right. we had one of many, but, man, has it been good to see so far. Referring to good goaltending, good teams can be built from the goalie out. Let's mm. talk about the defense a little bit more. The Blues specifically rank sixth in the NHL in goals against. That's only 36 goals so far this year. Mm. That's a lot more impressive considering last year we finished 27th with 301 goals. Oy. That is a n- number. Round up on that bad boy. Say 27th. Yeah, 27th Jeez. last year. There's 32 teams in the league. You so do the math. that there were only one. That means two, we should have gotten Connor McDavid. <laughs> he was a mass communications major, folks. Us. We should have gotten Bedard. We should have gotten Bedard. Anyways, on top of that, we're also 75% so far this year on the penalty kill. We've killed 27 penalties this year. We also have a very low rate of getting penalized. We're a very, very sound defensive team. Yeah, we don't discipline go outside for of, sure. We stay out of the box. That's yeah. a really beneficial thing. We talked about that in the Strickland episode a couple of episodes ago about how good teams, they stay out of the box in the first place, and the Blues are doing that. And honestly, that's been one of the more impressive yeah. parts about this team that hasn't been discussed about, I feel like, in just St. Louis media in general, is that the team is playing a lot more disciplined this year, too. Actually, the number one least penalized team in the league so far. Okay, just dropping a stat bomb on us, Dylan. Hadn't said one thing the whole time and drops a bomb. I I love it. Turn the keys. The nuke just went off. I I, I didn't. That was a good one. I didn't want to step on it, but, yeah, I didn't want to step on you guys. They, they, uh, I mean, interrupt the conversation. But, yeah, averaging seven penalty minutes a game. So thirty second in the league. So you know. wow. Yeah. We're also we're also ranked first in NHL and defensive zone giveaways. So as far as we do not give the puck up very often in our defensive zone, it fits more with yes. the disciplined. Well, in that disciplined, yeah, two hundred foot game. Yes, in that yes, exactly, TJ. That has to do with being a north and south team. A north and south team doesn't play around with the puck in our own own end. We get it out. We cycle out of our own zone, even using the boards for those that aren't. You know the average listener out there Brandon, using what the boards is, a bunch. Sorry to interrupt. What is yeah. what is cycling for the average yeah, listener? Yeah, yeah. I think I think cycling, Biking? cycling. Uh, you know, is do, do is not on a bike. No, it is not. Um, what it means is you're really you're using the boards as a way to in in gather momentum to exit your zone. So, for example, instead of just passing the puck from one stick tape to the next to a guy out in the middle of the ice, he could miss it. and It could be a turnover in the zone. What the Blues have been doing is using the boards to get out of their zone. They're chipping it up the glass, so they're getting air underneath the puck where it gets around a player from the boards. It's tough to stop, and it's an easy out, especially in those second periods when you have a long change. So in the second period, you got to travel to the other end of the ice to get to change. It's It's been so helpful, and it's been it's been a, a good way. The, another reason that we've been so disciplined is because we're not getting stuck in our own end we're not getting sandwiched in. We're able to get the puck out, get a change, and we have fresh bodies out to defend. Yeah, it's relieving the pressure that the defense has been putting on us from last year. We weren't skilled enough to deke our way out of the defensive zone. Oh, we're still not. No, we're not. We're not. But now, Easy. But now but now, there's a level of self-awareness. There's veteran presence with Sonny and with Hayes to where we have an opportunity to actually get out of that zone. 
sorry. He's just dancing. We've been talking about everything that's going right for the Blues defense. You look, you take oh a little deeper dive into the stats, it's though. Time. And the Blues are still not winning the net front battles. You've heard this post game, even after the Colorado game. Blues win by six. Ruby complains. He yeah, complains. But you know that's you what you're going to get. No, no, no. no. Hang on, hang on. I love it. Yeah. I said that with Agreed. a smile on my face. I love it. Here's the thing. We're ranked in the bottom five in high percentage scoring chances against, meaning we're still letting a lot of teams into the slot and take shots. We've let up 96 high percentage scoring chances in the first 13 games. That is bottom five in the league. Blues ranked 28th in expected goals against at Five on five. And the thing is, they're letting them into the slot, and they're not even even blocking shots. They have to block more shots. They're 15th in the NHL with 186 block shots. We've seen over the past five years, they're top five in that stat every year. We really jumped around and covered a lot of different things. I'm in kind a, of tired. In a pretty... <laughs> in a pretty <laughs> I just get so excited. I don't even know where I am right now. We jumped around... <laughs> And we covered a lot of different things in that 20-ish minutes sure. of, with the Blues. And the thing that I think is so interesting is that, yes, we've mentioned a lot of good things, some negative things that need to be improved upon, is that the Blues, even though we're only, what, we're not even, a, we're an eighth of the way into the season about. No, that was good on the fly. Uh, ish, well Math ish. major. It might be seventh. It's something like that. It's right in that range. Even though we're still early in the season, the Blues are right in that range where we all kind of had them, and really the large majority of hockey media had them. Tied for fourth in the Central, fighting right on the outskirts, fighting for that third spot in the Central, but right now in a wild card position. Yeah, That's what they are. They're not talented enough offensively to be able to just rely on, we're going to score three, four goals a night just with our talent. Yeah. They're, they're not... At that point yet, you know, give it a couple years, let some of these prospects develop, and then we can talk about it. But they're not there yet. So they're going to have to rely on a lot of these different aspects that we've talked about. And if you're able to do that well, you're going to be, they're going to be right where we think that, where a lot of people think they're going to be, that three, right. four spot in the right. central. And luckily, we're not playing as good as we should, and we're in that four spot in the yeah. central. Yep. So we're very fortunate to be where we are. We lost to Winnipeg the other night. Probably would have put us above yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, we we mentioned this too. We didn't or we didn't mention this. That was the one game that we were at in this uh in these four out of five. <laughs> yeah. They lost the one that we were at. So we might be bad luck, guys. We're not. Guys. We're not bad luck. We're not. We're not? Oh no. Okay. We're no. Not. Never mind. We're not bad luck. That's we're fine. not. Okay. Right, Dylan. I wasn't there. I don't know. No, we're not mm. bad luck though. So here's the craziest thing. We didn't even cover the power play, but guys, we're this record with. Probably uh, the worst power oh play in gosh. the league. But that might be a whole nother episode. I know you got to oh wrap us up, E. Yeah, it's that time, boys. Uh, I have one final concluding statement. Yes, sir. Conclude. Somebody please teach Jordan Kyrie how to score on a breakaway. That's uh, all. That's you know, all. I can't believe I'm saying this. He's right. Is that Penalty kills and Kyrie. You said it, so I don't have to. <laughs> took it away. I'm sorry. <laughs> Dang it. I tend to do that. <laughs> uh, guys, oh, man, that was fun. Dylan, tell us where people can find us on social media. You can find us at Loose Sports Talk underscore on Instagram, X, and Facebook. X. And we're also Boy. on Spotify, which you're listening to us on right now, or on Apple Podcasts. Podcast. Yes, sir. That's right.
It was fun having an entire squad in here. Be sure to stay tuned for upcoming episodes. We've had Chip Carey, John Denton, and Andy Strickland all in the last three episodes. Yeah. That's going to continue coming along. The next yep. episode, we got Christmas-themed. So stay tuned for that. Ho, ho, ho. Happy Hanukkah well. to you out there. All right, boys. That's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>